What's up, guys? Happy 2024 and happy three-year anniversary of the Cervantes Podcast. I'm your host, Cervantes, and joining me today on the podcast is assistant swim coach at Iona University and video production intern at Media Squared, Mauro Poxy. What's up guys, joining me today to discuss mental health, pivoting from a swimming career to the communications field, navigating adult friendships and more is assistant swim coach at Iona University and video production intern at Media Squared, Mauro Poxy. How are you doing today, bro? I'm good, man. How you been? Thank you for being here. <laughs> Appreciate it. You had an incredible swimming career from middle school to university level. Where did your love of swimming come from? Uh, my love of swimming came from when I was 10 years old. I first started swimming out in the Bronx. My mom worked at Lehman College. Nice. Um, really attracted to the water, took a dive into the deep end, realized I couldn't swim. Um, <laughs> and then after that, started taking lessons and I just you know, loved the feel of it, felt like a superhero. So that's what made me stick. And did you, um, when you first started swimming, was it recreationally or was it with, um, with the, like your school, like elementary school? Uh, so when I first started swimming, it was recreationally. Okay. I swam in Yonkers at uh, YMA, which is Yonkers Montessori Academy, at the Mark Twain Pool. Okay. Um, they offered lessons with the local team there, and then eventually I progressed all the way up into the club level, um, which is basically like a travel team, if you think about basketball or soccer. Right. Um, and I, I did that all the way for eight years. Wow, okay. And there's Michael Phelps, Maritza Correa, Fred Evans, and the list goes on. Who were some swimmers that you looked up to or admired? Um, definitely the, the first swimmer that comes to my mind is Nathan Adrian. Okay. Um, Nathan Adrian is an Asian-American swimmer. He swam for University of Cal. He is regarded as the best or the most consistent freestyler in American history. Wow. Um, and he just has a, a really good outlook on the sport, a really good outlook on life. And he was a big guy, and I was like, I want to look like that one day. <laughs> so, nice, nice. Did you, um, what was I going to say? Did you, like, try to, I don't want to say mimic, but, like, his swimming techniques and, like, his career, were you, like, impressed by that and try to, like, follow that in a way, if that makes sense? Um, I think the one thing that I could emulate from Nathan because an Olympian is otherworldly. Right, right. <laughs> um, was the idea of a, the mindset mentality. Um, you know, not giving up on things, always working hard to improve. Um, another thing that he goes by that I really liked was putting pressure on yourself in certain situations to be prepared for when that situation arrives. Right, like so, proper proper preparation prevents poor performance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he would say, like, you know, train the way you would expect to swim at the meet. So when you get to the meet, you know what to expect. You have your training to rely on. Right, right. What you did in practice is ultimately what you'll do at the meet, like yeah. you said. So Morrow earned his bachelor's degree in English language and literature in 2022 and his master's in sports media and communication in 2023, both from Iona University. Did you always have a plan B or was it, or was it a difficult transition for you from swimming to pursuing higher education in English and communications? Um, I wouldn't say that I always had a plan B. I knew that swimming for me wasn't going to be something to the level that, you know, I would go to an Olympics or 
um, a national stage kind of thing, but I knew that I wanted it to help project me into college because I wanted to swim at the college level. Right. Um, I guess the plan B for me was in higher education itself. Um, obviously, I've always been into sports, but I'm an English major, political science major, um, and I had a strong interest in law school for right. a long time. Right. And I had some aspirations of being a sports lawyer. I still do, but we're we're keeping it low for now. Take two LSATs, that happens. Right, right, right. Um, law school's no joke. But my plan B basically for that was I still wanted higher education. So getting my uh, master's in sports communication media was something for me that allowed me to find comfort in my creativity um, that I have had for a while. But it's a little bit harder when you, you read so much. And, you know, I'm really into graphic design and right. you know, video editing and things like that. So. Having that as a backup plan for me was really comforting, and I knew that no matter whether I continue with it or if I go back into law or if I blend the two, I'd still find a, a way into the sports world. Because I think it's good to, I think it's good that you have both. You have the swimming background that you can always rely on because you can always be a coach. You could always be a, I don't know, if it ever gets tough, you could always be like a gym teacher or like run the athletics department in some type of like high school or college setting. So I think that's a good thing to fall back on. And I think also to English and communications, it's different, but it's similar. So it's, it probably wasn't that tough of a transition as opposed to like me with like going from like bio to TV production. Yeah, that's hard. That, that was kind of crazy. That's pretty hard. Um, so your transition probably wasn't as bad, but I think um, you finessed it well. And I think, um, I think it's cool that you still want the goal or like the dream of being a sports lawyer is that you think that's more further down the line? You, like, you want to see where you can go with the sports media first? Yeah, I think that's further down the line. I think it's it's something that I put a lot of pressure on myself to do. Okay. Um, and there was a point in time where it got a little bit unhealthy. It's not that I you know, don't love the idea of it, but for now and probably for a long time, I'm just, when I feel ready for it, I'd like to do it. So Putting your, putting, putting your um, pressure on yourself in terms of like grades, and like getting a perfect score because you need to have like a perfect, close to a perfect score to get into law school, right? Uh, so like the, the highest score on that is a 180. That's um, really like the top 0.01% kind of things. An average score, I guess, would be, you know, the 150 range and right. stuff in between that is pretty good. And it's all dependent on, you know, the schools you apply to and stuff like that. But yeah, studying for that test is Definitely it's not easy because you got to study. Yeah. You got to study to take the test to get in, and then then comes the bar exam. Yeah. Right. The bar. The bar is the bar is what you'll take in at the end of law school to be able to practice. So it's like official. I'm not even thinking about the bar. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. that's a lot. That's a lot. It's like the LSAT is, it's a beast. You're right. So right. I'm taking a break. You became a full time assistant swim coach at Iona in August of last year. Congratulations. Thank you. How has it been going from Swimmer to coach? Um, so going from swimmer to coach has been a really fun experience. Um, I swam at Iona for four years from 2018 to 2022. Right. Um, I did have a COVID eligibility year. I don't, if, you, if anyone's familiar with the term of like fifth years in college now, like graduate students. Yes, I've heard, okay. Um, I chose not to do that, and as I got my master's, I was a graduate assistant instead. So right. last year, that was like my 
first experience coaching at the collegiate level. I've coached on club teams and summer teams before, but it was really cool to be able to um, work with my coaches now as peers and coach my friends now as my athletes. And it made it a lot easier, um, but it's good. It's, it's a good time. It's nice to be out of the water and not the one in there doing all the work. <laughs> right, right. Um, now I just kind of administer uh, what in they a leadership yes. position. Yeah, administer what they got to do, and um, it's been good. It's been good. What is the most rewarding and the most challenging thing about being a coach? Um, definitely the most rewarding thing about being a coach is seeing how my athletes grow. Um, you know, as people and as competitors. Um, you know, we put in the work to prepare them the best they can for their races, for the season, whether that's in the weight room, the pool, the pool deck, um, and even just through, you know, leadership. Um, but that's just not my only goal as a coach. Right. I think that coaches, um, when you bring people into a team, it's also important that um, you're dedicating yourself to improving them as people because you're not going to be an athlete forever, um, but you can take what you learn when your time and environment as an athlete and apply it to the rest of your life. So it's rewarding to be able to nurture both of those. Um, right. Like when we were in high school, they used to be like, oh, like, you know, you're student athletes, like, you, you know, a student first, you're a student first, but also too, like you just said, you're not going to be an athlete forever. So like, what tools can you take that apply to everyday life? Yeah. And like, how are you doing mentally, which we'll get into mm -hmm. later. What would you say, how would you prepare someone for life after the sport, life after like the collegiate level or even the high school level, what would your advice be, if that makes sense? Um, I think it would mainly be through lessons. Okay. Definitely, you know, if you, of course, we're, we'll, we'll take it to training first. If you train the way that you'd like to swim on the day of competition, like the, the most important day, um, then you need to practice that way. You need to apply yourself. It's the same like if you really want a job, uh, work makes work. So you got to do the necessary work to be able to get that job and then know that I'm capable of doing this thing because right. I have that body work behind me. Um, there's also, you know, just being kind and believing in yourself. Um, you know, the way life goes is, yes, we can have support from people around us and that's great but ultimately it's up to you. And you're, you've gotta be that you know, man or woman that's gotta give yourself a pat on the back and remind uh, yourself who you are and say, you know, I can do this. I've you know, fallen and gotten back up and over and over again and I'm more than capable of doing what I set my mind to. So I think those two are probably important, like applying yourself and also just believing in yourself. I think those are the two things I like to hammer. What was the most challenging part about being a coach? Or so far? Part. Most challenging part about being a coach so far is it's a bit more personal than it is about running the team, I guess, in a way. Um, you know, because I think it's been a, a pretty good transition, and, you know, that's a testament to my student athletes just, you know, handling and um, being around me and the way that I operate and. Um, coordinates with our head coach. It's been right. a good, it's been a good uh, assimilation. I believe that's the word. There's <laughs> a good rapport there between Yeah, you guys. a good rapport. Uh, but I'd say one of the most difficult things is making sure that 
I'm doing enough or feel like I'm doing enough. Um, it's never in terms of creativity and some, you know, sometimes it might be when I'm making, you know, practices or I'm thinking about training regiment plans, um, what we should be doing on XYZ day, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, what I could say, what I could do. Um, and that's all just the coaching part, like, you know, just being on the deck and coaching, but there's also stuff behind the scenes that can get a little crazy at times, like, you know, recruiting, uh, handling recruiting, the team, yeah. social media, um, you know, keeping a good standing relationship with alumni and, you know, other supporters. It's all, that part of it is new to me, but, right. you know, the coaching part, that's mainly just making sure I'm doing the right thing and making sure it's helping. Uh, so Morrow started his internship at Media Squared, a production company in Purchase, New York, in June of last year. What products have you gotten the chance to work on so far? Um, so Media Squared, just as a quick background, it's like, uh, it's in Purchase, Harrison area, as you said. Um, I was brought onto it by one of my professors, Mr. Pisanti. Oh, um, nice. And... What I've gotten to do there, a lot of the work was over the summer, early September. Unfortunately, since October, our season has been kind of busy, so I haven't been in. But I got to work a lot on uh, Major League Baseball. They do uh, stuff for the Yes Network. Nice. Um, which is really cool. And they also work with the Brooklyn Nets. But, you know, I've been working on, um, you know, Yankees packages. That's um, awesome. You know, chopping up the highlights, putting them in order, media arrangement. Um, I've been going out to stadium shoots. So I've been to Yankee Stadium for two shoots. Nice. Um, and I've even gone up to like Poughkeepsie, I believe, for their single A team. Wow, okay. Um, which is really cool. And uh, other than that, you know, I have done one edit. It didn't make the cut, but it's okay. It's it, it was, okay. It was a good experience and I had a lot of footage that you know, you just can't find on the internet to play around with. So that was really, really good experience so far. Do you, um, and do you feel like this experience, like, um, your editing and like your content making skills and your graphic design, um, experience, do you feel like it's improved a lot? Yeah, I, I'd say it's definitely improved a lot. Um, and it's definitely improved, not just by practicing, of course, but also feedback from my peers at Media Squared. Uh, they've been really helpful. We're a small group. But it's all been a really good learning process, and you know I hope I can get some time once this, the season is wrapped up and kind of get back to it and see what Hopefully I can do. Hopefully full time soon. That'd be nice. Um, the, the all the shoots that you've gone to, like the stadium shoots and all that stuff. What um, what was that like? Like what what was your favorite part? What was your favorite shoot? Uh, I think my favorite shoot was when we were up in Yankee Stadium and. Before this summer, I, I knew about baseball, but I didn't really have a, any interest, even, <laughs> okay. even though I'm like from New York. <laughs> okay. I'm like Yankees, Mets, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like basic it was, knowledge. It was really cool to walk into the stadium and, you know, almost be kind of starstruck, especially when we were shooting on the field. Um, but my favorite shoot has got to be when we were up in like one of those VIP section booth things nice. that are overlooking yeah. where they got big cafeterias and the food bar and then the regular bar. But we did a shoot with the executive chef. Um, nice. And what he was doing was a segment uh, for viewers where he kind of shows you how to make something at home kind of oh, okay. thing. So what he did was all the ingredients were straight off Arthur Ave. 
Okay, so nice. Own Italian. Local Bronx yeah, restaurant. Yeah, it was great. You know, I, I forget the bread, but shoot. Um, we had like mozzarella, prosciutto. Like um, teaching you how to make different types of sandwiches at home? Yeah, so he, he just made one, and I don't remember it off the top of my head completely, but I can tell you I ate four pieces. <laughs> it was and, good. Yeah, it was really good. And we had our, I was in the front, you know, doing the head on camera. Um, my peers were on the side and then we had one in the back there kind of getting the close-up shots of the food and the slicing. What does your day-to-day -day look like? So aside from the field shoots, which, you know, will pop up here and there, wherever they are, wherever they need me. Um, mainly, I'm, I would be in the office at Media Square like two to three times a week. Um, and okay. we would do a bunch of media management every day. Um, and that's just dependent on the schedule. Okay. Um, so, you know, for Yankees over the summer, if they had, you know, two games on a Monday, Tuesday, be there on Wednesday, chopping up and sorting out the highlight packages, um, be running, you know, tapes on the DVR, pulling okay. stuff from live TV, organizing that. So that's kind of the day to day. Okay. In the office, and then outside, of course, the shoot is the shoot, um, whenever okay. this happens. Oh, I was going to say, too, I think it's really cool that your teacher helped you with this position, and that's so important to, like, build really good relationships with, um, with your professors, because that's how you, um, for, like, students, for college students watching, high school students, would that be your advice? Like, reaching out to professors, building a good rapport, because that's essentially, it's always good to have a good relationship, but that's also a good way to get your foot in the door, would you say? Yeah, I'd say, you know, definitely if you have a professor that you really like and um, somebody that inspires you or even just any professor in general, keep a good relationship with them. Um, stay in contact a little bit and as long as you do good work and you show them that you really care and you value what you're doing, they'll... they'll you'll be type of mind. Yeah, they'll, you'll, you'll be on the mind somehow. Right. I love that. I love that. As a former student athlete, do you have any time management tips for high school, college students watching? And how did you manage your time in college and how do you manage your time now post-grad? Being a student athlete is not an easy task. Um, but what I found to be helpful um, was to learn how to do my work and learn how to manage my business in between my practice schedule. So I... We would start out the season knowing what times our practice would be. Uh, I would schedule my classes around the practice schedule, um, you know, just to make sure that I have time in between there to, you know, go to class and then get to practice. And then in between all of that, um, just doing work when I could. So if I had practice at 6 a.m. to 7.30, uh, you know, I'd have a class at 9. I'm getting breakfast. I'd go to the class. Maybe I have like a two-hour break. I'm starting up that homework straight out of that class. And then I go back <laughs> for the next practice and then repeat with the cycle as, as much as that went on. Um, so I think that's important. And if you're in high school, you know, you're in class all day and then you usually have practice in the afternoon, get home and get on the work as soon as you can. I know the feeling of taking the shower and just passing out, but you gotta be able to, <laughs> you gotta, you know, get through the day, come back home, attack the work, and then pretty much just rest. Yeah, I remember Mar and I went to high school together. I remember um, you used to do your homework like in class. Like you would yeah, do, yeah, like if we're in class. English, you're doing your math. And if like you're in math class, you're doing your English. 
and I, I always be like, wow, like that's smart. Like don't wait till um, you get home because, like you said, you're gonna like crash out, burn out. Um, and then in college, it's nicer because I don't know if every school is like this, but I remember I own a student athletes get first dibs on when they get to pick their classes. Yeah. So I thought that was really nice. In Hofstra, I think I wasn't an athlete at Hofstra, but I remember it it went according to your year. So seniors and then. They get the first dibs and then work your way down. Mm -hmm. So depending on your college, if you're a student athlete and you get the chance to pick your pick your classes, take advantage of that. Um, if you're like a freshman, then I guess, you know, it's kind of tough. But yeah, definitely what Marl said, like do your, you get, as athletes, as student athletes, you guys get your schedules, like you get it. So you can um, choose your class schedule around that. And then yeah, do find time to do homework. Don't wait till last minute. Um, and yeah, tutor, go to study hours, tutoring, mm -hmm. um, and you probably, did you do study sessions with your teammates or did you like to study like by yourself? Uh, it depended on the type of work I was doing. So if I was in a class with somebody, uh, you know, we would work and study together. Um, and not even just with my teammates, but with a lot of my, my close friends that I would have those classes with. Um. So I would pair up like that, and if not, you know, I'd just hit the library, um, get myself a nice spot, study by myself, really. Um, I didn't go to, like, you know, get out help for academics from, like, a, a tutor or anything from okay. stuff on campus, which I, you know, I just didn't fortunately need didn't need it, but, mm -hmm. you know, I, I definitely needed it for math, but, you know, <laughs> I, I just needed three credits in math. That's um, it. That's it. But it, it's all really great resources on a campus around you. You know, find out what works for you, who's there to help, because there's a lot of people willing to help. Um, and yeah, once you do that, everything else will sort itself out. Managing my time now is different every single day. Because there's, a, you know, kind of a different schedule every day. Um, as I mentioned previously before, I haven't been going to my internship as much just with the busyness of the full-time coaching position, but I can give you both ways of how that kind of worked. So in the summer, I would, you know, get up for the practice and then I'd go to the internship a couple hours Okay. and then I'd come back to the campus um, for like another practice. And then after that, it would just be like sometimes know, it was two a days in yeah the basically it was like two a days and then internship um, in between yeah exactly um so it was a little difficult <laughs> yeah to say the least um but nowadays since i'm not that busy you know it's going in for the practice um coming back home and i do do stuff outside of you know work um i do jujitsu and mma which is a really good outlet for me. Um, nice, I didn't know kinda, that. That's cool. To kind of just, you know, relax. I, I know it doesn't sound relaxing. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's like your outlet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I do that and, you know, that kind of just gives me a good physical feeling, good for my, my mind. Um, and, you know, when, when you get home, when I get home at the end of the night, it's kind of, I really like to light a candle and you know just journal or read or throw on something relaxing or talk to people that are relaxing and you know my priority people in my life that you know know who they are um right family so friends yeah it's all good it's all about uh, having a good support system and kind of outlets as to 
what you do to relax. So that's those are just a few of my ways that I, like I find that. time to do. And do you feel like you have enough days off? With such a busy schedule, do you feel like you have enough days off during the week? Uh, well, I mean, as a coach, really, I only have a Sunday off. Or, okay. you know, a couple, like, Saturday afternoon we'll get out early. But it's all just depending on points of the season. Um, I never feel like I'm too burned out, though. Okay. Because um, it's, I enjoy what I do. And that's what they, if you enjoy, it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel like a job. It's just kind of, I go in. I coach, and I, you know, I, I always remind myself, like, it's just coaching. You're not the president of the United States. <laughs> it's okay. Right. Um, I'm here to help people and, um, you know, have a good time and have some fun. And when I get to rest, I get to rest. But I really enjoy helping and, um, you know, giving, giving the best to them. That's what it's all about. And it's the, it's the same environment you're used to that you've been doing for the past... 15 years now? Uh, I swam, yeah, like 13, 14 13 years, years yeah. something like that. So um, it's the same environment, just, you know, different perspective. You're, yeah. You went from player to coach. So. Yeah, and I mean, even in, in terms of Iona, I was talking with one of my friends who I graduated with. It's kind of a joke. He's like, yeah, how's the schedule going? I'm like, you know, year six of the same thing. <laughs> um, it's not a bad schedule. Um, but I'm used to it. So right, right. It works. A recent study from the American Psychological Association by a doctoral candidate from George Washington University, Coco Nishi, found that Asian Americans are three times less likely to seek mental health services than whites. According to Psychology Today, men account for over 75% of suicides and the rate of male suicide has risen in recent decades. It is really unfortunate that society has taught us guys to hide our emotions and a person's cultural background plays a part in this as well. You are Japanese on your father's side and Dominican on your mother's side. How do you discuss mental health with your friends and family? So in terms of my friends, I have a lot of really good, you know, open people that I've always been emotionally vulnerable with, uh, which helps. And I have two really good friends, you know, in the mental health field wanting to be therapists. So they're really oh, good nice. advocates. Um, one's doing a master's, one's doing a PhD. Um, so I've been lucky enough to been surrounded by a lot of people and a lot of love and, uh, promoting mental health and advocacy. Even my, you know, parents, um, promote mental health and, and advocacy. Um, it's not what they had when they grew up, but right. it's, you know, right. really, really nice to have that type of support. Um, from everybody so I think it's it's huge it's important I think as people of color sometimes it's very um I feel like our generation is different we're more outspoken about it you know self-care mental health these are words that like we knew like I feel like from a very early age I would say whereas like our parents generation like that wasn't the case especially I feel like men of color too because we're taught you know like you know, like, man up, it's not that serious, like, toughen up, um, you know, don't, don't cry unless you have to, or don't cry unless someone dies. And I think it's important that, like, you know, we don't, we don't engage with that because sometimes that can develop into toxic masculinity, and we may, we may, how do you say it, like, it may trickle into other areas in our life, so, like, 
we grew up as men we grew up a certain way so we may not know how to talk about our emotions which can have a negative effect on our future kids romantic relationships our friends um why are you upset it's like leave me alone it's like no like tell me why you're upset so i think it's important to um that starts at home i think it starts at home and then at a certain age it's kind of like okay i can't if you do have parents that don't speak about mental health it's okay if, at a certain point, you can't blame them for what you lack. You have to like develop that in yourself. So, okay, who am I surrounding myself with? Okay, I'm gonna take that first step and go to therapy. And I think also too, juggling mental health conversation with religion, because I think also oftentimes like, oh, you know, oh, like that person's crazy. It's like no, grandma, that person's depressed. <laughs> like they need, or it's like, oh, just pray, just pray. And it's like, well. Prayer, yes, you know, faith is important, prayer is important, that's great, but let's also, I need, a, I need I, yes, I have the Bible and I have scriptures that I can go to and I have my relationship with God, but let me go to an outside person and vent, that's not my friend, because you don't want to, because you also don't want to like trauma dump, you don't want to like dump on somebody, go seek a professional that you can speak to, and also, you know, go to church and have prayer, so how has that been? I know like your faith is very important to you. How's that been juggling faith, but then also mental health? Um, it's been pretty, I won't say easy, but it's not like extremely difficult for me. Um, I honestly see it as, you know, kind of a circle. If I have good, you know, mental health, then I still have good faith. And if I have good faith, I still have good mental health. Um, and that's just because of the, the support systems to me. It's, you know, I put myself around people of, you know, different opinions and different religions, different races, different backgrounds, whatever it may be. And it allows me to have that exposure, which is great. Um, and, you know, we all share that want and support for mental health. So that all just reaffirms to me like in the way of looking at my faith this is what I want and then I just kind of underlie it all together right you know like not because I think back in the days it was I think mental health conversation I think that was um demonized in a sense like seeking therapy like that was maybe not demonized is the word it was very frowned upon to seek help in terms of um people of color like oh that's for white people it's like no that's for everyone like the same way how we check you know if our heart or our lungs or whatever we check we go to a doctor for that we should be able to go to a doctor for how we feel emotionally and mentally mm -hmm. um what was i going to ask you the suicide rate it's really sad to see like the statistics go up um as far as like people of color but also as men for you growing up did you have to fight back against the toxic masculinity that sometimes can be thrown upon us? Was it ever difficult for you to open up to your male friends or male family members? Um, I think the people that it was difficult for me to open up to just, and I'm, I'm taking, you know, like my family out of the equation, like fathers, brothers, that's, that's just kind of hard because it's like these people have seen you at such a good point. <laughs> why? Yeah. 
So that's like, a, that's just hard and difficult for a person to get through on their own, I believe. Um, but in terms of like, you know, opening up to other people and stuff like that, I just didn't feel comfortable doing it with people that I could recognize like were not in that same headspace as me, which is why I did not. So in a way that's kind of protecting myself while respecting them. I'm like, I know you can't handle it, so I'm not gonna put that on you because then I don't want to hear something that I don't want to hear and then we're just gonna have a fight for no reason. So. Right, right. So you, you mostly opened up to family like if you were going through something. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say that. I, I think in college was when I mostly opened up with those you know, people that I found my people like in college, most of them. Okay. That, you know, those were the ones that I'm really comfortable with opening up. And as far as like high school, um, I probably had, you know, four or five people. Okay. That I was comfortable with opening up that too. Um, and just in terms of family, it's like, you know, they could tell I was upset. Why are you upset? Here's why I'm upset. Um, but it would take a little bit, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm jumping on it, but you know, I'd walk in and say, Hey, I've been feeling this or feeling that. So right. it's kind of just more like a time thing to me. Yeah. Maybe age too. Yeah. Finding, finding your people, finding, and I think that's a good point. Like who, um, Who's mature enough to handle it? Who's mature enough to handle what I have to say about this thing that I'm going through? And that's that's a good point because you can't. There's it's kind of like um I saw on TikTok like you you have to put your friends in categories, like okay this is a friend that I'm gonna party with, this is a friend that I'm gonna um travel with, this is a friend that I'm gonna open up with and like be be personal with, and not every you can't open up to everybody because not everyone deserves that. And not everyone can handle that. So I think that's that's a good point. I think that's a really good point. How do you think we can help men to open up emotionally? Maybe you answered it, but how do you think we can help men to open up emotionally so we can lower these heartbreaking statistics? Do you think do you think us as guys enough guys like maybe taking yourself out of the equation, do you think guys are scared to seek therapy? Or do you think it's like, oh my friends aren't going, so why am I gonna go? Or I don't know. I don't know anybody that's going, so I don't want to go. I think that. Hmm, I think that for most men, and you know, I won't even say most men. I'll say, I think that for men, however most or however little, um, it's kind of like, you know, I like what you said about maybe they don't have somebody that is a real advocate speaker for that or they don't know anybody that is, you know, taking care of their mental health in a way that they're familiar with. So perhaps that's some reason why, you know, um, they refuse care in a way. Uh, it's, it's good now that, you know, we have 988 and, um, you know, shortened from 1-800, of course, the really long right, right, right. hotline. So that's a little bit easier to communicate with. And I think it's also some people just might be afraid in a way to open up to a stranger. Um, I think that if we keep talking about mental health and we keep advocating for it and you know as, as long as we promote that it is okay for everybody and for men to have that kind of care because you're still a man either way um, 
I think if that can happen, then a lot, a lot more people will seek the care that they need as it continues to, you know, get normalized, and that's just going to take uh, time on its own. Because I do think it is getting better, but I do think that there is work to do. And I think my advice, yeah, I think what you said is good. I think um, find somebody in your find your, find someone in your life that you can talk to, like person, like friend, family member. But then also go seek therapy and find someone outside of your life that can give you a more well-rounded perspective. Because sometimes if it's like your best friend, they may they I don't want to say they'll only say good things, but like. They only know one side, whereas if you go to an outside person, they can get a fuller perspective and it's like more, it's more fair, I think. So yeah, I think go to therapy, find someone in your life that you can talk to, categorize your, it sounds a little weird, but like categorize your friends, try to, okay, this is, this is my purpose. This is our friendship and this is what this consists of. I'm going to be personal with this friend. This friend, I'm just going to go out to eat with and party with. This friend, you know, it's for this reason. So categorize your friendships um because you don't you don't always want to vent all the time to um every time you don't always want to fall into the trap of like venting and then you're venting the whole conversation and then the other person doesn't get to talk about like and then invent themselves sometimes that happens too so yeah i think yeah find therapy normalize it talk to your family and be the change that you want to see so that by the time you have children, it keeps getting better. Because I feel like our generation is doing a good job, but yeah, there's definitely work to do. Because I think sometimes, yeah, it's like I think teenagers and like young adults, we do, I think we're, we're juggling with social media, comparison. Um, do you think social media plays a part too? Like Absolutely. Comparing your life to someone else's life, but it's not really their life, it's a highlight reel? Yeah, uh, and I mean, if I have social media, I mean, who doesn't have social media? And social media can be a great tool and a great asset and a great way to promote your life and share what's going on with it. But I think social media is also absolutely horrible in terms of, um, you know, idolizing people for likes and followers and popularity or this person has this, this person doesn't have that. And uh, I think you just can get sucked down that loop and that rabbit hole. And even like, you know, on like an Instagram feed or a TikTok feed or YouTube shorts, um, there's gonna be relatable content on there. But then your algorithm is just gonna out of whack and all you're getting is like super sad things and that doesn't make you feel any better either. So, <laughs> right. I, I limit my minutes on social media and I just put the phone down. So I okay. think that has been really helpful for me and I think I think people don't need to be obsessed about media as they do. I think I, I'm hoping things get better. I, I pray that not just men, but people in general um, can be more mature mentally and more emo emotionally mature um, to have these difficult conversations because for me, yes, you, you know, we want sports, you know, memes, and those are fun, but it's like... <laughs> For me in this new year, 2024, I definitely want to check in more. And for me, like, when I, like, I think my love language is like quality time. So like, hey, let's hang out, let's go to movies, let's do this, let's do that. But instead of like, instead of just the quality time, I think I need to do a better job of like, hey, how are you doing? Like, how are you? Instead of just like, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm good, all right, like, let's, let's do the thing that we're gonna do. But like, really check in. 
Um, do you feel like you're good at that, like checking in with your friends when you talk on the phone or like hang out with them? Yeah, I think I always like to ask people, you know, how they are. I mean, that's just a general conversation thing. Um, but for the really important, like, you know, people in my life and just people that I see having a hard time, I'm like, how are you, like, really, though, you know? Do you need anything? Do you want to talk about it? Um, stuff like that. I think it's all just important checking in and especially like, like even as a coach, like I, you know, I manage 48 people on a pool deck. And if I see like a change in behavior from one week to the next or anything like that, you know, it's, I can just pull a person over the side and like, Hey, like, you know, yeah, everything all right. Like you've been looking a little, different um what's going on so i think if you keep a a good tab on your friends and family um you're able to tell what's going on and you're able to reach out to them and yeah you can do it in your personal life or like you just said in your professional life with yeah. your um with your teammates uh, with your um with the st- Students that you're coaching, I love that. Recently on TikTok, I saw a debate going on between men and women, specifically regarding male versus female friendships. Men were defending themselves, saying that our friendships are just low maintenance, while women were disagreeing, saying that male friendships are in fact surface level, and that men don't really check in with each other, while women's friendships tend to have stronger emotional connections. Would you agree, or do you think you have a strong friendship with your guy friends and you guys are actually emotionally mature enough to really check in with each other? Um, yeah, I would say that between my guy friends, we're, we're pretty emotionally, you know, bound. And that's for, you know, the guys that I got really close to my, my circle and even the, the ladies that I have really close to my circle, too. Um, I'm going to stick with men, though, because I know that's the question. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, no, we're, we're pretty open. Like I could give a person a ring, they could give me a ring at any, not any time, but of course, like, you know, we, the times that we'll know we'll pick up and just kind of, hey, I got something, can I tell you about it? Yeah, of course. Or, hey, I got something, can I tell you about it? Not right now, but tomorrow we can, you know, talk about it or the next day, like whatever it is. Following so we're not, up. Yeah, we're not shutting each other out in, in my group or things like that. We're you know, being open and letting each other have a voice for whatever that may be, whatever struggles you go through, that whatever guy kind of goes through. So yeah, I think um, it it was like a funny it was like a funny debate. I think um, all right, so time for some TCP rapid fire questions. TCP, what's TCP? Uh, the Cervantes podcast. TCP oh my God. rapid fire. <laughs> Um, so you don't have to answer them quickly, I just call them that. But the first question, what makes you laugh the most? I want to answer them quickly though. But what makes <laughs> me laugh the most? Uh, probably my friends. Friends, okay. Three things you're grateful for? Um, supportive friends and family. Um, Education throughout my life and the house I live in. Those are good. Those are good. What would you tell your younger self? Uh, never give up. Keep going. I like that. Where do you see yourself in five years? 
age 28. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real, that's an honest answer. On the East Coast. Doing, um, and we'll finally, see. what would you name this current chapter of your life? Um, I would name it living through love and not hate. Okay. I like that. That's a good one. That's a good one. Thank you, bro, for coming on the podcast. Any any last words um, to the people? Keep watching the TCP. Because <laughs> yes. I, I know it's the Cervantes <laughs> podcast, but I didn't know the acronym. Um, Cervantes has been a, a really great uh, friend ever since high school, and I've always admired what he's doing, um, considering I have some interest in his field as well. And, you know, he's a really great host. This is my second show. Second here. episode, yeah. And, if you guys um, yeah, keep keep tuning in, whether it's Spotify, Apple Music. Apple Music, YouTube, YouTube. Um, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah, check them out. Awesome. Thanks, bro. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you. And shout out to Jordan behind the camera. Jordan, Jay Stu, <laughs> Jay Stu. Appreciate that, yeah. And I want to hear from you guys. So if you're listening to this episode on a podcast platform, be sure to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching this episode on YouTube, don't forget to click the notification bell up top so you're notified whenever I upload a new episode. And don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you guys for watching.